Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. How was your weekend? The NFL's back. Chiefs looked unstoppable. Tom Brady looked unstoppable on Thursday night. So you got those two teams still looking like they looked into the end of the last year. The Packers got beat by 35, which was shocking to a lot of people. I saw a number of predictors who had them in the Super Bowl, so we'll see. Well, this is interesting. You can be our NFL correspondent. I may have kicked the NFL habit. Oh, I didn't watch a second. I just read all this stuff. I have not watched a second of NFL other than the Super Bowl in, I don't know, five, six years, maybe longer. Yeah, I happened to flip on a random game just because I, I had couple minutes to kill and uh and enjoyed it but i did not watch my beloved 49ers hmm. uh i'm not sure i will either i don't i don't know i haven't decided i just i'm not sure i want to devote that much of my life to watching people who would probably hate me and hate my politics and <laughs> kneel on the sidelines and, and the rest of it hmm. promote marxism etc but i don't know we'll see how it goes i've crawled i've made the same vow like the last four years in a row and crawled back every time so we'll see uh, a lot of good stuff to talk about this hour, uh, this, that, and the other thing. A little COVID stuff, but not a lot, because you, me, and everybody is so freaking sick of the discussion, I think, um, and how it's just become so tribal and, and dopey. Um, but on a different topic, I, like uh, a lot of y'all probably, uh, watched, read, listened to a fair amount of 9-11 uh, 20th anniversary stuff. Um, I mostly read and some of it was was stirring, um, life-affirming, sad, scary, reminded me of, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, some of the tales of, of some of the heroism was amazing. Um, thinking about the people facing their final moments, frantically trying to call relatives, um, touching, of course. Um, and and I think it is absolutely right and proper that those who lost loved ones remember them and remember them publicly and remind people of what good people they were. And, you know, this for the living, we'd like to think that after we're gone, people will remember us. It, it makes it a lot easier to deal with mortality. So if you experience 9-11 on a personal level, I have zero problem with you grieving or remembering in whatever way you find proper. On the other hand... On the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and this will probably the last be the last time we have this discussion, I am extremely uncomfortable with the way the United States as a whole commemorates 9-11 with, to my mind, an enormous amount of self-pity, an enormous amount of, they brought us to our knees, they, they, they devastated us, it's terrible, look at us, we got attacked, we lost thousands of people, which again, on a personal level, I am not belittling at all. But in various war zones around the country, they lose five times that many people on a near monthly basis. My point being, history didn't stop. We just kind of held it at, at arm's length for a long time, and we're incredibly comfortable and safe. We can't be a country that is brought to its knees every time some scumbag death cultist group manages to get some of us. We've got to be tougher than that. We've got to be stronger than that. Yeah, I retweeted Tim Sandifer, and he uh, is just trying to find it because he worded it better than I'm going to right here. But he had tweeted out something along the lines of the best way to commemorate 
uh, that day is to uh, live your life as you normally would and, uh, and not have it impact you in any way. And I retweeted that. And then as the weekend went on and I saw more tributes to the firefighters who died or risked their lives trying to help others and all that sort of stuff, I felt a little bad about retweeting that, actually. Um, because, like you said, if you, if, you, if you lost your life or risked your life or somebody you know did, that's a completely different story. Um, because all that stuff is, is uh, well, it, it is what we all know it is. But just in general, though, God, the whole rolling around in how awful that was and, oh, poor us, and it changed everything. Don't let them change everything. They don't get to change everything. The bad guys don't get to change everything. Don't let them change everything. Quit saying that. I don't want to change anything. Let's kill the sons of bitches and keep doing what we were doing before. Exactly. You grieve. The rest of us will fight. And that's the problem with the rest of us all getting wrapped up in this national boo-hooing, as opposed to, on the positive side, looking at the heroism of the firefighters and the cops and the pilots and the flight attendants who are often left out of this, and the passengers who fought for their lives. Let's salute their courage and their toughness and their sacrifice for others. But the, the defiance... You know, the the boxer who gets tagged on the chin and smiles at his opponent says, that's your best shot? Now that's a formidable fighter. Not the boxer who falls to his knees and says, oh, my God, he hit me. Oh, my God, he hit me. Yeah, the phrase brought America to its knees, which I've heard a few times, is just insulting. If Bullass. If, if 3,000 people dying like that brings this country to its knees, we're in big trouble. We are in big trouble because there will be... A real battle with a real foe that actually is an existential threat at some point, probably China. Um, we better be tougher than that. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, the 20th anniversary of that conversation. Um, and I remember having the same attitude roughly right after it happened. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're in a fight now. Where do you, you can't give up and, and, and curl into the fetal position. Again, if you lost somebody, I get it. You need to grieve. Do it. We'll take care of it. But come on, America. There, there are evildoers around the globe who slaughter people willy-nilly with no regard for life whatsoever. It's a beautiful thing that we regard life as highly as we do in the U.S. It's, it's a good thing. But we've got to be tougher than that. Came across this great quote from Christopher Hitchens. From shortly after 9-11. He said, watching the towers fall in New York with civilians incinerated on the planes and in the buildings, he said he felt something he didn't grasp at first. Uh, Christopher Hitchens. I'm only slightly embarrassed to tell you that this was a feeling of exhilaration. Here we are then, I was thinking. In a war to the finish between everything I love and everything I hate. Fine. We will win. They will lose. That's a guy whose best friend is Salman Rushdie, who had a bounty on his head from... These Islamic fascist weirdos for years. Mm-hmm. So he was well aware of that uh, mindset. But he says he felt a certain level of exhilaration in that. Okay, it's on now. It's on now. It was coming. It was, it was inevitable. Now it's happening. Right. Of course, the problem get- with that is that the Taliban is currently in charge of Afghanistan and harboring yeah. Al-Qaeda. Yeah, that's a bit of a frustrating note. and It, it colored the... the- commemorations yesterday i guess i don't know it's a difficult i need to think about exactly how to put it but grief i get especially those who are personally touched but national self-pity is pathetic in an ugly world 
with a lot of people who want to come for us. I liked your your point about changing everything. To the extent that we let it change everything, we made a terrible mistake. We gave away a lot of constitutional rights. We empowered the government to do absolutely wildly inappropriate things in terms of civil rights. So, yeah, less self-pity, more defiance, please. I did read a couple of interesting pieces over the weekend asking the question, if we had a 9-11 event, style event, today, you know, a big hit from a foreign adversary, would we pull together with a 95% approval rating for who was ever president and politics goes to the the, the background for a while or not? And a, a couple of articles I read where they don't, they're not sure we would, that it would immediately be a blame one side for what happened. Uh, and we'd be the same way we are with every other issue. Yeah, I don't know. The, the 9-11 was so incredibly shocking, the particulars of it. I think that transcended a lot of politics. And, and George W. was the perfect guy for the moment in that he was a tough-talking Texan who didn't mind whooping ass, which is what America needed. If it was some sort of hypersensitive, equivocating, waffling type, no, I don't think we would pull together in the same way. Now, I had plenty of gripes with W and what he went on to do subsequently. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting thought experiment. I well, hope we never know. I hope we never know either, but I do have some concern that if, say, what's a good example of a, a red city? One of your one of your towns in Florida that, uh, you know, red and DeSantis is uh, involved and they no mask mandates and all that sort of stuff gets attacked and a thousand people die guarantee you there'd be a chunk of the country says good you know bunch of idiot red stater trump voters fine and the the same with the uh, the other way around with some uh the blue area good some some university town i think there'd be a big chunk of uh of the other crowd saying yeah good we don't care about them anyway as opposed to we're all americans we got attacked by somebody i don't know i hope i'm wrong i just yeah, feel like I, we're in a different place now yeah well and the other thing is and this colors the discussion i think you weren't aware of the 5% on either end of the political yeah, spectrum. True. You weren't even aware of them because they had no platform. And now they dominate Twitter, for instance. Thanks, they, Twitter! They clog, they clog Facebook, you know? So it might come off as much more divided than it even is. Hey, while we're on the topic, when we come back, I want to play this. Joe Biden, who weirdly didn't participate in any major events and give a major speech over the weekend, and I think everybody knows why. There's just... There's just no way with Afghanistan in the hands of the Taliban that he could that he could give a major address over the weekend, I don't think. Combine that with the fact that he's somewhat incapacitated. But he was at a ceremony, and somebody got a microphone in his face and talking about leaving Afghanistan and that sort of stuff, and he, he was the most honest he's been so far. It completely expa- explains his rationale for getting out of uh, Afghanistan the way we did, and I thought it was damned interesting. See if you uh, find it troubling or not. We can play that for you next. The Armstrong and Getty Show. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? Yes, you're going to get desserts if you eat your vegetables. we got two things to play for you. 
One of them's one of them's the vegetables. It's cauliflower, but it's important. Then dessert. can I cover it in cheese? Then you're going to have chocolate pudding with whipped cream and a cherry on top because it's just oh, yeah. just fun. So the vegetable part is Joe Biden. Uh, so he's at a um, memorial for 9-11. Again, he did not give a big speech, and I think most people could correctly assuming it's because it just just drags out too many problems. If he if he gave any speech, what's he going to say that that people wouldn't immediately in their minds think, yeah, and those very same people are in charge of Afghanistan now because of the way you left. Um, yeah. So he stayed away from an address. The sitting president did not give a major address on the 20-year anniversary of 9-11 because of that. Which because he was too embarrassed. Because he was too embarrassed. Um, but So somebody got a microphone in his face. I'm sure his handlers were just crazed with anger that he answered anybody's question. But I thought this explanation um, gets to you know the way his mind is on this whole thing. If you had told anybody that we were going to spend... Three hundred million bucks a day for twenty years to try to unite the country. After we got Bin Laden, after Al Qaeda was wiped out there, can Al Qaeda come back? Yeah, but guess what? It's already back other places. What's the strategy? Every place where Al Qaeda is, we're going to invade and have troops stay there. Come on. Anyway, so I, I just think that, and again, what people are. As I read it, I'm told, people, 70% of American people think it was time to get out of Afghanistan spending all that money. But the flip of it is, they didn't like the way we got out. But it's hard to explain to anybody how else could you get out. For example, if we were in Tajikistan, we pulled up a C-130 and said, we're going to let, uh, you know, anybody who uh, was involved with being sympathetic to us to get in the plane. We'd have people hanging the wheel well. Come on! I thought that was an interesting thing to say. You <sighs> you land a plane in some place like Tajikistan and say, hey, if you like the United States, you can come with us. You'd have people hanging from the wheels. Which is probably true, but an interesting thing to say. And then the earlier when he says, you're worried about Al-Qaeda, they're back. Al-Qaeda's back, all right? They're all over the place and countries all over the place. What's the strategy? Well, that's my question for you, Mr. President. I wish the follow-up had been, yeah, that's a very good question. What is the strategy? You're saying Al-Qaeda is in countries all over the world. What's the strategy? And and he's answering a different question than the American people are asking. They're not asking, why did we get out of Afghanistan? They're asking, why could we not get American citizens out and the people who helped us for years and years out before the disastrous downfall? How could we not plan for that better? At least have contingency plans ready to go. All right, and it doesn't have anything to do with you putting the military in a position where they had to close the Air Force Base, which uh, seems to be a stupid strategic move. Anyway, so that's that. That's your uh, that's your vegetables. Let's get the dessert just because it's so good. This is a TikTok star, and uh, she was responding to the idea that Joe Biden said he's uh, lost his patience. I think everybody reacted the same way last week. Well, half the country reacted the same way. When Joe Biden said, I'm losing my patience. I'm like, I don't give a crap about you losing your patience. But what are, what are you threatening me? What is that? <laughs> you work for you me to send me to my room. What the hell is that? But anyway, this is the way this woman reacted. Fool talking about my patience is wearing thin. What the f- are you talking to? As long as your patience don't get as thin as that hairline, I think we'll be all right. I am not your child. You, and I'm showing sure up ain't your you're talking about your patience is wearing thin. These people have lost. They acting like they paying your bills and you down. I saw that little clip. I said, 
Oh, he's crazy. You, you really think I'm his hoe? My patience is wearing thin. I need you to get out on that boulevard and bring me my money. You ain't my pimp. The hell is wrong with these people? He really said that out of his mouth. But our patience is wearing thin. You bald hip. See, see. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. I wonder, you know, that's a TikTok star, so they do whatever they do to get views and make money or whatever. But the the, the black community is not uh, not real uh, big on the whole vaccine thing, for the most part, according to all polling. So, so it would seem. Chris Steyerwalt wrote a great piece. Uh, maybe I'll share some of it with you about the, uh, well, is indirectly about the great vaccine mandate through your employer, blah, 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 what we were talking about last week. And he's talking about how president after president is is more... Uh, enthusiastically embracing the idea of doing something wildly unconstitutional. I mean, and everybody's already told him it is. He's even admitted it is. But just doing it to fire up the base and show that he's in there fighting and the rest of it, 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 it which is, it's so unhealthy. It's so childish. It's, it's the wild-eyed ignoramuses of politics running the country, which is not good. I don't know what to do about it. And the most damaging thing is the damage it's doing to the Supreme Court, putting them in a position where they have to be the arbiter of everything. And uh, and so their um, approval ratings or people's belief in the Supreme Court has been dropping by big numbers year after year after year because our Congress and our president are acting like this. And that's not good. We lose faith in the Supreme Court. That ain't good. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Emma Radakanu, is that the way you say her name? Get, get used to seeing her around that tennis star that won over the weekend, who is a model, looks like a model, and won the U.S. Open. She's going to be everywhere all the time. She'll be selling you your Wheaties and your your Coca-Cola. Um, you know, I'm not proud of it, uh, but I went for some clickbait the other day. Stars... In bikinis with their dogs. <laughs> which which drew you in? The combination or was it the dog? I, I think it was just the oddness of the combination. <clears throat> no. um, and so I clicked on it and I, I hit like the ninth one before I recognized a single name. And I was reading about the VMAs last night, the Video Music Awards. Everybody, of course, sitting around watching uh, music videos on MTV. Uh, and and I, I'd never heard of the host, I don't think. <laughs> Half the award winners, I'd never even heard their names. Madonna showed up and bared her arse. Yep. If you can believe 72 that. 72-year-old Madonna came out on stage, showing her uh, hind end like she's still a sex bot. I don't, I don't get her act at all. Well, and then there's all sorts of calculated outrageousness and in the way that, you know, uh, entertainment for kids and young people is, which is fine. Uh, it's just it gets to be a little old hat once you get a little gray around. the Well, temple. so do you think the it was calculated outrageousness in the hallways when Conor McGregor almost got in a fight with one of the singers? That looked pretty real to me. Just the little clips I've seen in pictures. Hard and, to say as he is a crazy person. And he is a nut. Um, yeah, but anyway, what I was uh, all leading up to was that uh, you say I got to get used to that tennis player girl being around. Nah, I don't think I do. I just I probably will never never hear her name again. She'll just be a really cute girl who is on her in her bikini on page six occasionally. I have I think major twenty twenty four presidential news, so I'll <laughs> have that for you this half hour. Jeez. 
folks, if he turns his back, I'll take him out. I just got to wait for the opportunity. I'll go Conor McGregor on her on him, and I promise I won't bring it up. A really bizarre rock and roll death uh, coming up in a moment or two. But first, I thought this Did was the, interesting. The drummer choked on his own vomit? <laughs> no, that's a regular rock and roll death. Um, Chris Starwalt wrote a really good piece about how presidents uh, in recent memory are just going clearly for unconstitutional measures, knowing they'll be struck down, as we were stating uh, last segment. Um, and they get the points from their side for trying real hard, and the Supreme Court saves their bacon. It's almost like, you know, if, if for instance, Conor McGregor said something unkind to me, and I said, let me at him, let me at him, knowing that Jack would hold me back so I wasn't going to be killed. Jack is the Supreme Court. The president says, let me at him, let me at him, knowing he can't throw that punch. It's crazy. But it flouts the Constitution. It's a terrible habit, and we're getting worse and worse at it, but... Starwalt's writing about how uh, Obama was claiming that the Constitution's North Star is in the preamble, the, the, the more perfect union and, and the pursuit of happiness and blah, 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 and how that really empowers the government to fulfill those promises, which is, of course, a load of crap. The preamble to the Constitution is a sales pitch. It's not, it's, it talks about this Constitution. It's the introduction before the Constitution. And uh, picking up with Starwalt, contrary to Obama's claims, the Constitution's North Star is its resistance to authoritarianism, even or maybe especially when a majority supports it. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights are fundamentally anti-majoritarian documents that make it harder to give the people what they want. If anybody ever talks to you about democracy and, and the majority, the Constitution's not say that all things that we deem to promote the general welfare or the other aspirations listed in the preamble are therefore permitted. And then he has kind of a funny example, but it's a tangent. The preamble is the explanation for why the rules must be strictly followed. Our failed and derelict Congress helped create this mess, not just by its selective partisan defense of the Constitution from executive abuses, but by its inability to exercise its power to meet the demands of the people. Presidents have exploited this weakness and paved the way to uh, authoritarianism as they want. They will not, we will not lose our liberty to leaders pursuing unpopular decisions, but rather to those who violate the American system to give the people what they want. With Biden's recent gambits, we've laid down fresh tarmac for that road to ruin. Just like to make that point occasionally. The point of our government is to protect us from the majority, not give ultimate power to the majority. So and not, and not for presidents to, you know, get a mob behind them shouting lustily. And that, the, the, you know, might makes right, constitutionally speaking. I'm looking at a New York Post headline. F. Joe Biden chants break out at college football games. Yes. Because yes, they did, apparently. Is, it, is that because they're there maskless or unvaccinated or what was it all about? Don't know precisely. It's a number of places around the country. Some of the chants small, some of them big. I listened to one and it was kind of unimpressive, but... Uh... Hmm. I don't know. That's probably part of it. Yeah. Walmart Walmart just announced that they're going to take crypto payments. They will take Bitcoin. Oh, now that's funny. I see a tweet right after it. Walmart just announced the crypto payments announcement is fake news. Okay. So they're not. Very 20, uh, 21st century there. The very weird rock and roll death coming up in, in a moment or two. 
Uh, but first, a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe Home Security. There's big news from our favorite home security company. Simply Safe just launched their new wireless outdoor security camera. The system the U.S. News and World Report names best home security system of 2020 already, 2021 rather, just got better. This camera is so great. Ultra-wide, 140-degree field of view, so you can see your entire yard or in front of your house or whatever. It's 1080p HD resolution with an 8 times zoom, so you can really zoom in on license plates or faces or whatever details that you need to get. I mean, you've seen some cheaper camera footage, right? Probably before, and you can't, you have no idea what's going on. Was that Bigfoot? Bigfoot broke into my backyard. Um, but th- this is really great. Uh, easy to remove rechargeable battery, so it doesn't need an outlet. You can put it anywhere on your property. That's great. And it has a built-in spotlight with color night vision, so you can keep an eye on what's going on day and night with that super high resolution, easy to set up. Just go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. SimpliSafe is celebrating this new camera by offering 20% off your entire new system in your first month of monitoring service free when you roll enroll in interactive monitoring. Again, that's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. A former Victoria's Secret model named Bridget Malcolm details the company's toxic weight loss culture. How? Okay. Guessing they want you to be pretty skinny to be a Victoria's Secret. You're an underwear model, baby. They're going to want you to be pretty skinny. That's just the way it's going to work. Former offensive lineman uh, describes the toxic weight gain culture of NFL teams. We know. You're in a business where you got to be a big old fat boy. (laughs) Come on. So... You probably don't na- know the name Mick Brigden. He's one of the best-known tour managers in rock and roll. Rock and roll. He's he's managed a couple of the Rolling Stones' gigantic tours, meaning he's he's a capable man. He worked with Bob Dylan, Peter Frampton, Carlos Santana, all sorts of uh, you know uh, giant rock and roll groups. He managed their tours for him. Well, he died at the age of seventy-three. Somehow, he was digging a grave for his pet dog, I think. Is that a dog or a cat? I believe yeah, it was a dog. dog. A dog, yeah. He was digging a grave for his family dog, which has passed away, and somehow he fell into the grave or something and was killed. <laughs> what? How, why, why did that kill him? I don't know. I wasn't there. but uh, the, and, and, you know, nobody's saying super specifically. But he had just had an accident while digging the grave. And there's something about being pulled into the grave, sending you to the grave. That's just, it's wrong. It, it feels like, I don't know, a, a fatalistic typo or <laughs> somebody misread something. So did they just go ahead and put the dog in there and cover them both up and call her good? Or what did they do? Well, he liked the dog, obviously. Uh, no, I don't know. It's just, it's insane, though. I mean, you got your caveman death. Then I guess this would just be like a crazy ironic death. If you fall in a grave to your death, I mean, wh- what is that? It's like dying when you're digging a dog for grave for your dog. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> thank you, Alanis. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it is. It is definitely ironic. Is it just efficient? Yeah, that reminds me of when I dug the hole for uh, Bianca when she passed away because we buried her on the farm, and uh, and it reminded me of that tweet. That I saw. Name something that's way harder in real life than it looks like on TV. And digging oh. a hole was number one. Digging a hole big enough to do anything with is a really, really hard thing to do. Digging a hole big enough to bury your dog is very, very difficult. 
it takes an enormous amount of time, which is why in the movies, when those grim scenes are unfolding, they always kind of cut. Yeah. There's always some sort of, and then you come back to them. And it, because it took like an hour and a half of constant labor. Uh, one more thing I wanted to mention. Elon Musk did something interesting over the weekend with Tesla, launching Tesla on tribal land in New Mexico. New Mexico is one of those stupid states, like a lot of places are around the country, where the major car manufacturers have bribed their legislatures to claim it should be against the law to sell cars without a dealership. That's actually the law in a bunch of states. You're not allowed to sell a car without a dealership. Who gets those laws passed? Well, of course, Ford and Chevy and Honda and Toyota, because they don't they want to keep Tesla out. Tesla sells direct to the consumer, so it's against the law. Well, Elon Musk got around it in New Mexico, it looked like, by putting his dealership on a on tribal land on an Indian reservation to pull it off. But I hate right, those laws. It. Absolutely hate those laws. It's exactly like taxi companies trying to keep Uber out. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's just it's mobbed up. It's the powerful lobbying the legislature to keep the less powerful from competing with them. Uh, you know, Tim uh, Sandifer, our friend at the Goldwater Institute and uh, folks at the Pacific Legal Foundation, they fight against this stuff all the time. But it's just it's mobbed up. It's lobbyists getting their way. So when we come back, I'll have that uh, really important 2024 presidential news I've got for you. Also, um, polling out on were the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq worth it? Those are the two wars we fought in the wake of 9-11, which we just had the 20-year anniversary of. Uh, boy, it's not very close on whether or not people think those wars were worth it or not. and We're not that far removed from either one of them. Uh, all that on the way. I think there's shaky legal grounds here. When you look at the OSHA statutes that are being used, um, I think they're, they're really on shaky ground as to whether they can really force this or not. So it's subject to legal challenge. Um, let's remember that the politicization of these vaccines started back in the presidential campaign. It was started by Vice President Harris, you know, who said that I will not take a vaccine um, that's approved by Trump or by Trump's regulators. That put this in a totally different area that allowed it to be politicized and that politicization is continuing now excellent point big man should be brought up more often should be brought up more often this vaccine hesitancy it's called what would it be like if uh, trump had won and who would be refusing to get the vaccine lots of people yeah that would be interesting to see hard to say i mean you have all sorts of different people who don't want it for all sorts of different reasons you know i meant to bring this up earlier i was doing a lot of reading about this this weekend as i do every weekend and uh, i found one solid reliable source stating unequivocally that the vaccine gives you much better immune response and for a longer time than if you've had the covid and then i came across one that said precisely the opposite. And these were not wackadoodle extreme out there websites or anything. These are fairly heavyweight sources stating the exact opposite. What the hell are we supposed to do with that as a people? Uh, AOC and Manchin are in a Twitter war today. Maybe we'll check in on that later. Um, we're not. 
The reason I wanted to play that Chris Christie was uh, really was to get his voice on and mention this. I didn't know this until I saw him on ABC This Week yesterday. Chris Christie gave a big speech yesterday at the Reagan Library. And part of his speech was clearly designed to try to distance him somewhat from Donald Trump. The, the point of his speech being, look, Donald Trump lost. Let's stop all this nonsense. Here's where we are. Here's what we need to do. And so there have been a lot of conversations. Uh, well, Sarah Isger of the Dispatch was on on the same show yesterday, and she flat out stated, look, Donald Trump's running. There are enough people close to Trump saying he's running that he is running. He's going to Iowa. He's running. And the thinking like among her and a, bu- a bunch of other pundits was if Trump runs, that clears out the field. DeSantis doesn't run. Um, uh, what's her name? The UN ambassador. Uh, what's her name? For Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley doesn't run. Chris Christie doesn't run. None of these people run because they're not going to run against Donald Trump. And Chris Christie gives that speech last week saying, look, Trump lost, blah, blah, blah. And looking like at least he's willing to run against Trump. And that changes things. That changes the, 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 the whole specter of Trump running again. Cause I think a lot, a lot of the belief was, including me, was if Trump runs, none of those other people are going to run against him. He's got 90% approval rate. They don't want to take on the wrath of the, the Trump fans, the Trump loyalists. They're not going to run against him. He gets the, he, he gets the nomination in a walk. Chris Christie sort of indicated last week that he's willing to take him on. And then you'd have somebody up there, um, you know, pointing out Trump's flaws. Um, and a p- potential downside, and uh, and people would have a choice. So it's kind of interesting. And then if he does that, DeSantis jumps in court. And then all of a sudden, you might have Trump on stage, and unlike last time around, where nobody had the nerve to take him on at all, because they, they thought, well, he'll fall of his own accord. Exactly. We'll, we'll get the Trump voters, and we'll win. There might be He might be on stage with like eight different people all coming after him. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, and Christie is smart and vicious enough to take on the, the, the task if he decides that's the way to go. Plus, Trump humiliated him over and over again, so he might be uh, extra charged up. True. I, I was surprised somewhat to hear the other day. I can't remember who did the poll, but something like three-quarters of Republicans want Donald Trump to be in charge of the party. Yeah. So he has plenty of support. No doubt. Um, We need to talk. We, we've we got to get into I thought the most interesting story of the weekend was finding out that that drone attack, the day after we lost 13 soldiers... The drone attack on the, and we blew up a guy, one of the masterminds behind the attack, and it looked like he had a truck bomb, and so, you know, he had a bomb in his car, so we saved even more lives. Turned out that just ain't true at all. We killed an aid worker who worked for a company in California, and he was loading bottles of water into his car so he could take them and distribute them. Now, uh, there was a bunch of people on the Twitter machine saying, how did you just see this story? It was out the day after. Yeah, from Middle Eastern sources. I don't know if you follow this stuff much, but every time we kill anybody or Israel kills anybody, Middle Eastern sources always come out with how they were, uh, you know, they were the the the, the, the close to a saint and uh, surrounded by children. They always it was a say wedding that. party. It's they, always a wedding. They party. always say that. But the Washington Post and the New York Times nailed down the details on this story, and it absolutely looks like Biden's drone strike the next day, so he would look like he, we were retaliating, killed an innocent guy and a whole bunch of kids. And I would like to know, and I hope the Pentagon is forced to answer, how much rigor was there before they pulled off this drone strike? How much political pressure was there to take somebody out? And then at what point did they know they made a mistake? Or did Joe Biden know he made a mistake? And were they ever going to let us know? 
Right. Well, you have your proverbial bomb chuckers, which is probably the worst possible choice of words in discussing this story. But then you have your people who are very steady roll and they just speak the truth. And I have heard over and over and over again from that sort of person, the idea of the fact that we can project over the horizon power effectively. They said, no, you can't. You got to know who you're bombing. You got to know who the who is this guy? Where's he going? Where's he's where's he been? The only way to get that is on the ground intelligence. Well, if this or, is what over the horizon power looks like, that is not going to work because well, it's a disaster. Oh, it's just awful. It's an awful story. Just an awful story. All these kids coming out to the car when Dad gets home at the end of a long day of work, and then, and we blew them up. Uh and again, I'd like to know how much political pressure there was on the on the military to get somebody. Right. Right. Wow. Wow. That's sad. That's an ugly story. And um and uh the um there's questioning going on Capitol Hill today where people are going to be answering for the withdrawal from Afghanistan and how that went down and we're going to get some of our first answers, but I hope they get into this topic also. Wow. Did I tell you about the guy who fell into a grave and died? I'm just trying to cheer everybody up. You did. <laughs> did he have a heart attack digging and tumbling, or did he trip over his shovel? Nobody's saying. I don't know. Hmm. Do you believe in democracy still? That's a question uh, that seems to be uh, prominent on the right and the left, among other things we can discuss. Hey, if you ever miss an hour, go to armstrongandgetty.com and get the podcast. Armstrong and Getty.